to Voices from the Front Lines, your national movement building show. It is Tuesday on March 8th. It's International Women's Day, and we want to celebrate International Women's Century and International Women's Infinity. We celebrate women's leadership every day, all day. We're training women leaders, and let's continue to do this great work. This week on Voices from the Front Lines, we're going to be hearing part three, the last part of How Europe Underdeveloped Africa and the Genius of Walter Rodney. For those of you who have missed it, we held an event by that same name on February 17th at Strategy in Seoul. It was an in-person event and virtual event, about 300 participants online and 22 in person. We had great talks from several panelists, including Strategy Center organizers. We were grateful to be introduced by the Walter Rodney Foundation, which I'll talk about a little bit, and had a great keynote by Robin D.G. Kelly. We've been focusing the last two weeks on playing the talks from that event. Two weeks ago, we heard a great talk from Robin D.G. Kelly, who's a Gary B. Nash Chair of the U.S. History Department at UCLA. And he spoke about underdevelopment in neocolonialism and Walter Rodney's own history and how Europe underdeveloped Africa as a key text for reparations for black people inside and outside of the United States. Last week, we heard four great talks again, uh, beginning with myself uh, about underdevelopment and neocolonialism from South LA to the Third World and the campaign to end anti-blackness on metro buses and trains and the need to continue building a machine to take on the system with the National Leadership School. We also were grateful to be introduced and welcomed by Patricia Rodney, who is the chair of the Walter Rodney Foundation and wife of Walter Rodney. And she spoke about Walter Rodney's history, her own revolutionary history, and the process for Rodney to write How Europe Underdeveloped Africa, and even some of the strife of being kicked out of Jamaica. We also heard from Asha Rodney, who's the vice chair of the Walter Rodney Foundation and daughter of Walter Rodney, speaking on the Walter Rodney Symposium. And this symposium happens every year in March. This year it will be on March 26th. You can learn more on their website, WalterRodneyFoundation.org, or subscribe to Voices from the Frontlines today and we will be sending you a personal invitation. We also heard from Ashley Woodard Henderson, who's the director of the Highlander Center, speaking about the importance of ideology in the organizing process and the need to have a regular convening of the movement to discuss the state 
of the movement and what is to be done, as V.I. Lennon said. This week, we're going to be hearing the last four talks, and they are truly last but not least. You'll be hearing Eric Mann, who is the co-host of Voices from the Frontline and the director of the Strategy Center. Eric is speaking exclusively about the National Leadership School for Strategic Organizing, which is grounded in pan-Africanism, pro-communism, and as a center for political and ideological dialogue in the movement. He also speaks about the importance of opening the national school with how Europe underdeveloped Africa and the role of Europe in historical colonialism and in today's neocolonialism. Imani Countess, who we'll also be hearing from, is the director of U.S. Africa Bridge Building Project, and she speaks about illicit financial flows. Now, what is that, you might be asking? That is the movement of money across borders that is illegal in its source. So what does that mean? That means the stealing of gold and resources from Africa is still alive today. And she talks more about that in her talk. Jamal Rogers, who is the founding director of the Organization for Black Struggle, speaks about the shattering of the romanticism of Africa to see today's neocolonialism. She speaks about black governance and the need for the National Leadership School as a pivotal next step in the movement. And finally, Akuna Uka, who is an administrator at New Roads and a key leader with the Strategy Center. Akuna sums up the entire event, but also speaks about her own induction into the movement via My City Council race in 2020, and reading and understanding underdevelopment as a Nigerian-American leader coming up in the movement. And as you'll also hear, she's standing between the in-person crowd and the delicious dinner provided by Earls on Crenshaw that night. Now I know that was a lot, but here's the thing. I've been saying each week, we definitely want to hear from you. And I've been saying, email us at info at the strategy center or eric at voices from the frontlines.com. This might be the last segment of how Europe underdeveloped Africa on Voices from the Frontlines, but it doesn't mean that this ends your participation. Voices from the Frontlines, as many of you might have heard, is an organizer-sponsored radio show and not a listener-sponsored radio show. We need your help to take action. As an example, one thing you can do around the campaign is to call Holly Mitchell and ask her to work with the Bus Riders Union. We want to hear your thoughts and your experiences that you're having on the buses, and you can email us today those things. We also want to hear your thoughts and your reflections on each talk. Tell us what you thought about these talks. If you disagree, we want to hear about your disagreement, but it helps us to schedule each show and to plan the show when we hear your outreach. Many of you have seen either me or Eric in person, and we're really grateful to meet you. But it's the first time that we are hearing from you that you listen to the show regularly and that you love the show. And please do more of this and do more of that. The more you email us, the more we get feedback and the better the show gets. So email us today, info at the Strategy Center, eric at voicesfromthefrontlines.com.
The last thing I'll say before we get to these talks is that it's still KPFK Fund Drive, and we want to do everything we can to support KPFK. The thing, the question I'll ask you as an example, last week, Eric read a great article on the conflict between Russia and Ukraine, speaking about the United States' role in promoting NATO as a threat to Russia and other countries. Now, let me ask you this question, and I really do mean this seriously. What other station in the country is speaking about this conflict from that perspective, other than KPFK and Pacifica radio stations? Let me answer, almost none. We think that KPFK is so essential to get the movement's voice out into the world and have a movement radio station that rivals that of corporate media. We need your help. Call 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK. This week, for the Voices from the Frontlines uh, Fund Drive, we'll be having three premiums, as we did last week. We'll be having How Europe Underdeveloped Africa by Walter Rodney for $100. Eric Mann's Playbook for Progressives, 16 Qualities of the Successful Organizer for $100 as well. And Paul Robeson, Portrait of the Artist for $250, one of our fan favorites. Call 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK. And with that, let's hear the talks. So let me just say, you know, the Strategy Center, uh, we have a thing called the balance, which is everything you do has to balance somewhere else. Otherwise, what was the point of having the event? And we're going to be working very closely with the Walter Rodney Foundation and the symposium to really turn out a lot of people for that and to continue the relationship with them. So um, just want to say that it's pretty cool that they both chose to prioritize this conversation and and they're deep caring about you, Robin, as the example of a good organizer, and now they know me and Channing, and pretty cool. Um, so my talk is going to be mainly about the National Leadership School for Strategic Organizing and to try to flesh it out. And it was very cool that they both said they wanted to participate in the launch of it, and they were part of the launch of it. Um, there are so many quotes, but I want to begin with um, uh, two quotes from Walter Rodney that shaped my life, that shaped the work of the Strategy Center. He began by saying, finally, attention must be drawn to one of the most important consequences of colonialism on African development, and it's the stunting development on Africans as a physical species. A black child with a transparent ribcage, huge head, bloated stomach, protruded eyes, and twigs as arms and legs, was the favorite poster of the large British charitable organization known as Oxfam. Oxfam called on the people of Europe to save African starving and Asian children from this condition called, I don't really have it, I'll do the best I can, Kwashiakur. 
Oxfam never bothered their, their consciousness by telling them that capitalism and colonialism created the starvation, suffering, and misery of the child in the first place. And the second quote he has is, China and Korea were both at the stage of approximating feudalism when they were colonized by the European powers in Japan. Russia was never legally colonized, but the Russian economy was subjected by, subjugated by the mature capitalism of Western Europe. In all these cases, it took a socialist revolution to break the domination of capitalism. And only the rapid tempo of socialist development could make amends for the period of subjugation when growth was misdirected and retarded. Indeed, as far as the two capitalist socialists, as far as, I'm sorry, as far as the two largest socialist states are concerned, the Soviet Union and China, socialist development has already catapulted them beyond states like England and France, which have been following the capitalist road for centuries. So it's really shocking if you study Soviet history and if you study Chinese history, the amazing leap that happened when you control state power, when yes, the labor of your own people can be not exploited, but the surplus can be invested. And that surplus is invested either in domestic consumption or in export to bring back capital so you can redevelop the country. I'd like to argue today that we know the Soviet Union is no longer existing, and we know that uh, Clinton and others created one of the great uh, economic rapes of all the collectively developed wealth of the Soviet Union into privatizing hands. We also know that Putin and Russia do not look like the Soviet Union. We also know that the People's Republic of China can be argued what form of society is. Is it socialized capitalism? Is it uh, state capitalism? I would argue to you that with all those problems, Russia and China are the best allies of black people in the United States. And that as Joseph Biden says, we will bring the full force of the United States against Russia uh, in the Ukraine after it is surrounded by NATO. And it's NATO that wants to invade Russia, not Russia that wants to invade NATO. And the surrounding of China right now by the United States calling itself a Pacific power is the same imperialism that Walter Rodney was talking about. And if we can't find solidarity with Venezuela, with Cuba, with Iraq, with Iran, with Russia, with China, simply on their right to self-determination. There is no hope for this strategy. And putting it the other way, I think that is the hope. We can discuss it, but that's what I think. Um, I want to talk to you about the school. And I want to thank Ashley Henderson for really great interrogation today about clarifying our views. Um, when the Strategy Center first began, we built the National Leadership School for Strategic Organizing. It was our school. 
We mainly trained our people. It was a national recruitment. It had a residency program. And I think our graduates are pretty impressive. You know, Chris Mathis, Kikansa Ramsey, uh, Rita Burgos, Patrice Cullors, Mark Anthony Johnson, Jaron Brown, Daniel Kim, Cynthia Rojas, Damon Ozzoli Rojas, Andy Terranova, Manuel Criollo, uh, Tammy Kim, Tammy Banglu, I'm sorry. They're out there leading things right now. We train them to lead, and we're all playing a very constructive role in the world. We had political education. We taught history like this. Early in the game, came and did an amazing four-part seminar on the Black radical tradition. And he invested in 10 of our people for four weeks. But now the time, place, and conditions are a little different. And we have a little different set of objectives, which is the National Leadership School for Strategic Organizing is trying to create a conversation among the most developed organizers in the city and the country who have a base on the ground to talk about what is the future of the movement that does not yet exist, but must come into existence. There's people doing amazing work out there. We have what we call the pieces of the puzzle. Obviously, Black Lives Matter, but I can mention many others. But in talking to the organizers, we all know that given center-right neoliberalism and given far-right fascism, we have not yet created a third force in U.S. politics, and I think we have the pieces of the puzzle to do so. So the first thing about the National Leadership School, it is about a conversation of strategy, but it is based on four premises that the Strategy Center has about strategy. First is we are Black nationalists. And we believe that Black people in the United States are not simply an oppressed minority, but an oppressed people. We don't have to argue other than a nation, which we believe, an internal colony. But at this point in history, I think virtually all Black people know that they're having an experience specific to them that is both profoundly oppressive and frankly deteriorating under deteriorating imperialism. Number two, we're Pan-Africanists. We have an international perspective. We care about Africa. We love, why did we start the school without Europe underdeveloped Africa? Because we wanted to. And Robin and I had a conversation about this. And of course, with the Guyana's government finally taking some responsibility for Walter's assassination, which is heartbreaking, we couldn't think of a better way to kick off the school than how Europe underdeveloped Africa. Third, we are anti-imperialist. We think it's really critical to see the United States as an empire. And again, we can disagree. We don't need to argue about the specifics as much as the fact that the United States is trying to take over the world, is creating a unipolar world, and is terrified of any form of self-determination all over the world. 
the concept, which is funny, that the United States, that China is stealing U.S. secrets, U.S. Uh, intellectual property, is a joke. The United States stole China. Forget about Britain and, and the United States stole an entire continent, and they had a revolution for self-determination. Uh, if you actually look at the technology, the joke is that the United States is at 5G and China is at 7G. It doesn't need stealing a damn thing from the United States because it's far more scientifically advanced, which is why the United States must say that China is stealing our stuff because it's always the white people who think the black people stole their stuff. You know, it's always the thief that claims the thief is being attacked. And China is not attacking the United States. The United States is attacking China. And the fourth is that we're pro-communist. And that's important, because if you look at our bookstore, we are proud of the work of the Communist Party, of the new communists. I mean, if you look at our books, I'm sorry. It's, uh, I always tell young people, besides the obvious, um, tell me who the following are, are were communists, right? W.B. Du Bois, Paul Robeson, Nina Simone, um, Ozzie Davis, Ruby D, Lena Horne, and Lorraine Hansberry. Which of them and were uh, and Nina Simone? I think I said. And the answer is all. So whether you like it or not, and we do. When you come to see there's something wrong with this country, you begin to try to reform it, which is the normal thing everybody wants to do. When possible, try to get the damn thing to do better. But it will not be better. It's, it has metastatic cancer, and it will not allow us to change it. And trust me, revolutionaries are the best reformers, and we have not been able to change this country for the better. So the National Leadership School for Strategic Organizing is, begins as a conversation, then a community, then a curriculum, and then we'll figure it out from there. Because this is all in but saying this. Organizers, and I mean not canvassers, not what some people are calling themselves today, but a real organizer goes into people's homes, is welcome. I mean, when I was in Newark, people used to bring me in, say, come on in, son. You know, I know you're out there, one of those civil rights kids. And they would bring me in for two or three hours to talk to them about their lives, talk to me about their lives. And I imagine on my block having 50, 100, 200 conversations. Oh, I will tell the story of them. It's a Saturday and I'm around in Newark, hot as hell, and I'm trying so hard. I said, listen, and everybody's out there having barbecue and rum and coke, you know, it's, it's 110 degrees out. And I'm going, hi, everybody. So we got to talk about the rats and roaches and the landlords and how you're being oppressed. And they said, son, the rats and roaches are going to be here Monday. And the rats and roaches are going to be here 100 years from now. Now, you want some barbecue and rum and coke, or you want to get move on? I said, oh, thank you so much. It's so hot out here. 
is driving me crazy. But they said, we invited you because you care. We know you, Eric. You come out every day. We trust you. So sit down and enjoy yourself, and we'll deal with this other stuff Monday. That's what an organizer is. You're part of that. You love the community, and the community loves you back. And then you can all figure it out together. And my experience has been that if you work for the AFL-CIO, if you work for any group, but you're an organizer, we can talk and we can reach a lot of agreement because we all care about the people. And we have discussions of ideology, but we're not ideologues. So the National Leadership School for Strategic Organizing is trying to construct a conversation and have all the best organizers who are all having problems. I mean, it's not like we're going, damn, we got this. But the best organizers are all hitting the wall right now. And they, I perceive an openness to the conversation. So we're very happy to work with the Highlander Center for Organizing and Education. We're very happy to, to work with uh, US Africa Bridge Building Project, where we want, we work with Black Lives Matter, we work with all the groups in the city, but there's a hunger for deeper strategic conversation about where is this all going? And that's the specific mandate of the National Leadership School for Strategic Organizing. And tonight is an example of our theory and our practice. Good evening, everyone. It's good to be with you. Um, Eric asked each one of uh, the panelists to respond to a couple of questions, including uh, the impact of the book, uh, sort of our thoughts on the cutting edge issues that we're working on. And, um, and so in addressing this question of the impact, I think that one indicator of how Europe underdeveloped Africa's impact on our consciousness is that is that we're meeting here tonight in Los Angeles to talk about the book 50 years after it was published. I was introduced to the book in 1978-1979 while I was a sophomore at the University of Maryland in College Park. The book was transformational. It was essential reading in the student-run study circles uh, that were part of the campus's uh, act activist culture. And what was probably the most important for us at that time was Rodney's very concise and clear presentation of complex African cultures, economies, religions, and social structures. They were presented objectively, they were fresh, and they resonated with so many of us. In contrast to the Eurocentric perspectives presented in most of our classes. Today, the book still has an important place on my shelf, right, on my bookshelf, because of its analysis of underdevelopment as a relationship of exploitation, one country by another, one class, over another. That analysis is as crucial today as it was in 1972. 
because exploitation continues. The mechanisms of exploitation change, but the result is the same. Africa's resources are stolen on a massive scale. Today, corporations, criminals, and corrupt officials steal more than $80 billion a year. That's according to the UN Commission on Trade and Development, not something I made up, right? The theft is accomplished through a number of complex mechanisms that are grouped under the term illicit financial flows. I'm going to read the definition. Funds transferred across an, an international border using financial instruments that are either illegal or illegitimate because of the harm they cause society. So across the continent, we see widespread theft in the extractive sector, including mining, oil, and gas, and in agricultural extraction, rubber, palm oil, and timber. We see widespread tax evasion and tax avoidance. So today, this month, one of the headline stories in South African papers is that the country is dealing with the loss of 70% of the taxes that should have accrued on all of the gold wealth that was legally mined in 2019 that has been lost. And, and this particular scam is one that involves family-owned corporations in Zimbabwe, South Africa, along with gold networks in Dubai and banks in Mauritius. Criminal activity, rampant. Africa's coastal countries lose billions per year to illegal fishing. Ghana alone loses $100 million a year. Foreign vessels from China, Russia, Europe, Taiwan, operating without authorization from, Af from African countries are decimating fish stocks. And it's not just about the money, because overfishing also destroys marine ecosystems, disrupts trade, and fosters economic migration. So, so what does this mean? Well, what it means is that governments don't have the money they need to invest in their development. It means that governments don't have the resources they need to address climate change. It means that livelihoods are destroyed, as is the case in the fishing sector. And it helps maintain this false narrative of African incompetence and corruption. And on the side of the global north, it fosters a whole host of development initiatives that are focused on corruption and good governance, but not focused on the problem, corporate commercial theft. Illicit financial flows are a global issue, right? But it, it dis, they disproportionately impact Africa. And so African countries are calling for an end to illicit financial flows and the unconditional repatriation of stolen assets. One of the missing links in this growing initiative, however, is us. I met Eric in November, first time. We had long conversations, including discussions about illicit financial flows. 
I've been, I've been talking about illicit financial flows on and off since about 2015. But it was here at this center for the first time someone asked me, okay, so what do our comrades, brothers and sisters and, and, and friends on the continent want us to do? It was a question that for me immediately recognized that this exploitation that's been described isn't only about Africa, but it is about all of us. And the fact that collective action strategies have to be developed. So the conversation's begun. We don't have answers yet, but it's a beginning. And it's particularly exciting to me because these conversations are occurring as a part of the planning and thinking and the launch of the National Leadership School for Strategic Organizing, which centers race and class intersectionality, of which illicit financial flows are one concrete example. So I'm looking forward to working with the, the Labor uh, Strategy Center, which uh, is committed to um, a long-term commitment to this question and to working with others uh, to develop the strategies and tactics necessary to chip away and eventually end the US policies and structures that continue to facilitate the ongoing theft of African resources. You're listening to Voices from the Front Lines on KPFK 90.7 FM Los Angeles. The voice you just heard was Imani Countess. Imani is the director of the U.S. Africa Bridge Building Project. The talk you were just listening to was from February 17th at the Strategy and Soul Movement Center. The event, How Europe Underdeveloped Africa and the Genius of Walter Rodney. The talk you heard before that was by Eric Mann, co-host of Voices from the Frontlines and director of the Strategy Center. We're going to continue with this program. The next two talks you'll be hearing are from Jamala Rogers, who is the director of the Organization of Black Struggle in St. Louis. And you'll be hearing from Akuna Uka, who's a key member of the Strategy Center in Bus Riders Union and teacher at New Roads High School. Again, call 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK to support this wonderful programming. We have three premiums today on Voices from the Front Lines, $100 for How Europe Underdeveloped Africa by Walter Rodney's, $100 for Playbook for Progressives, 16 Qualities of the Successful Organizer by Eric Mann, and $250 for Paul Robinson, Portrait of the Artist, a great four DVD set that has been hot and running off the block. Get yours today. 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK. Thank you, thank you. And I really want to say that I'm honored to be a part of this, but disappointed that I'm not there. It's been so long since I've heard live clapping just like, just so refreshing. So, uh, and then some of my comrades are in the office and in, in the audience there. So I would have loved to have been there in the flesh. But I want to thank the uh, the Strategy Center for not just uh, inviting me to participate, but also um, to even have a conversation about this particular topic. 
So I'm glad that the folks before me really uh, delved into uh, Walter Rodney's piece. Uh, but, but one of the things I would say is that I'm grateful that as a young revolutionary, young organizer in the Congress of African People, that this was required reading for us along with other uh, uh, particular books and articles. And so for me and probably for the rest of uh, the young organizers, it really did strip away this romantic notion of Africa and, and, and what it was and who it was. And, uh, and we also, as, the, as an organization, had a formal relationship with uh, Tanzania. And so we were able to go back and forth and really learn what Ujamaa socialism was because it's always been about governance whether you in Africa, you in Newark, or you in, in East St. Louis, how are black people gonna govern themselves? And so it was very important at that point to lay the foundation for a framework, a lens about that. And I, I was smiling when Channing was talking about going to Belize and seeing how underdeveloped it was and the same, had the same uh, experience when I first went to Kenya. That was the first African country that I went to. And as beautiful as it was, you know, the neo-colonialism was real in your face. And uh, Daniel uh, Moi was the, uh, uh, the head of the, the country then. And I just thought, this is so, so sad. Uh, but yeah, so I think one of the things that uh, Walter Rodney did was to predict the resilience of neo-colonialism. And, and that's why his book is so still so rele relevant. It's because those forces that he talked about then, that he analyzed then, are alive and well today. And when Imani talked about the, the kind of wealth that was uh, leaving South Africa, I mean, that, that is totally amazing. But it's that kind of brutal exploitation that Rodney Walter, uh, Walter Rodney had talked about and it still exists now. So when I think about his book and the fact that he was assassinated, a few years later, Manny Marble wrote a book called How Capitalism Underdeveloped Black America. And I really do believe I didn't have, never had a conversation with Manning about that. I had more conversation about his book on Malcolm, but I, I, I believe that he was really trying to build off the legacy of Walter Rodney and to keep that that information, that uh, intellectual uh, knowledge alive. And so when I think about the two books, it really, they do complement each other because when somebody says, how can Africa be so poor with all these resources? I often hear that being said about why are black people still so impoverished, so you know, disorganized, so this, so that, when they have all these resources, they're educated, you know, what is wrong with them? What is wrong with us? And so it puts the onus on the individuals and the conditions that have been created for us to, to really explain and justify what's happened to us. And so I think in, uh, you know, Walter Rodney's piece, he's very clear about that. And, um, and the brutal kind of exploitation, both economically and physically that happened in Africa, actually, you know, when we look at what happened to uh, folks that were extracted and enslaved here in this country, is no different. And so, uh, and I'm not trying to say that this is a continent or even a nation, but some of the similarities are based on the tactics and the, the, the understanding that uh, all power is about the wealth. 
And if it has to be extracted by any means necessary, that is what's going to happen. So I think about the kind of loss that of wealth that we have here. I mean, Imani talked about like just stuff just like being sucked out of South Africa. But think about like, you know, over the years. So since I've been born, um, you know, there's been like 12 million acres of land lost in southern um, uh, southern part of this country. Like that's that's wealth that we'll never see again, or it'd be a long time before we see it again. And then I think about like the the uh, the vacuum cleaner that sucked all the wealth from the uh, housing crisis. You know, fifty to sixty percent of the wealth from our country, I mean, from from black families went whoosh. And so we're looking at how the extraction happens, and it's just as you know, it happened in Africa, it's happening today, and we are still fighting for, um, you know, against wage theft in so many ways. And that, you know, that's what the Fight for 15 is all about. So when I think about like the silver lining and really looking at, you know, what I was trying to do with the article about um, freedom dreams deferred, it really was to center, you know, working class people back in our movement. Uh, you know, when we talk about uh, Rodney's uh, piece about, the, the, the movements have to be driven by working class ideology. That's pretty much the void in the Black Lives Matter movement and the Black Liberation Movement. And we really need to make that central to our struggle. So one of the things I know has to happen, we have to have you know disciplined cadre organizations who understand vision and strategy. Uh, we have to have a rigorous you know, uh, political education about these issues. That's why I'm so excited about the National Leadership School for Strategic Organizing. When I think about, for example, Ferguson uprising, I think about all the young people that were so hopeful about what was about to happen. They saw transformation, but what they didn't understand, and I try to tell them in my own way, is that protest in and of itself is not gonna move the needle. We need a vision, we need strategy, we need organizations that's gonna carry this, these, these, uh, these, the strategy out. And we just didn't have that. And so the disillusion that happened uh, was, was anticipated. And so really for us now, we have to begin thinking about what do we need to do to rebuild our movement? What do we need to do to bring the next generation of young organizers and activists online that they understand the difference between a nonprofit and a movement organization? They understand the difference between mutual aid and, and, and liberation work. And so we, we got to do that. And that work is hard. Uh, but I, I'm relying on the people in the room, the people here in this city and all over the country who saying something is about to happen in this country and we are not prepared for it. And so we got to get prepared. We got to get have those principal conversations, even if they are, are um, disagreement with one another. But we have to move the needle. We have to move our people. We have to to be them be a part of the transformation of their own lives and their own communities. And so I'm looking forward to the discussion, not just here, but you know, in the future about how we're gonna do that. So thank you again for listening. Hi everyone. So I'm Akuna Uka. And as Eric said, I'm a volunteer with the Labor Community Strategy Center. And because I am a volunteer with the Labor Community Strategy Center, I spent along with Eric and Channing a couple of months reading through this text, 
We had a study group every Monday where we were preparing for this talk. I took copious notes and I had a written response and I was all ready to go and I'm going to completely abandon it because I realized what would probably be the best use of this time because I am the last person and I know I'm between us and a black owned restaurateur in the yard, so I know my role. <laughs> Instead of giving my prepared remarks, I would actually like to sum very quickly what I gained from each of the speakers tonight, because that's really the purpose of why we're here, right, is to learn and to figure out what to do with what we learn. So, first of all, oh, thank you. Uh, before I go into that, I'll just say who I am. So my mom is right there, Martina Murray. Hi, mommy. And uh, she and I are the descendants of people who were brought from Africa and enslaved in Virginia. And then my dad, Sunday Mbauka, is from Igbo land, which is uh, currently known as Southeastern Nigeria. So that's who I am, and I was raised in New York. And part of the reason of how I even got here is because as a student, I loved history and I loved learning, and yet I felt as though the school system did not love me or people who looked like me or had my history. And there was a tension between what I was learning at school and what I was learning at home and felt to be true. And what's so powerful about Rodney's text, thank you for introducing me to it, is that it is the first text that I have read that challenged a lot of the myths that continue to be perpetuated in the K through 12 education system, even to this day. And that's why I decided to become a history teacher, because I know that third world students deserve teachers who are willing to teach the truth and expose them to primary sources and the work of scholar activists like Walter Rodney, Robin Kelly, and all of the other folks that we are so grateful to be able to learn from. So that being said, there's so, there are so many quotes that I wanted to read and I will only read one. But Rodney stated in the final chapter of his book, to be colonized is to be removed from history, except in the most passive sense. And I think a lot of us are here and we choose to study together as a group because we recognize that in our traditional formal education, that this is the history that we have been given. Right? And Ash so articulately stated the purpose of that education, and we know what that is. And we know that the purpose of our education is to disrupt those forces. So again, I'll just go into, I wish we had 30 minutes so I could sum, but I'll just quickly share just some of the nuggets that I'm really grateful to have received tonight. So from Dr. Robin Kelly, a fun fact that I did not know is that Walter Rodney went to SOAS, the University of London. I did too. I studied abroad there my sophomore year of college, although unlike him, I did not run into revolutionaries and gain this great education. I actually had the very traumatic experience of having a professor who said to a, a class of students, including myself, that Africans were so backwards that even their political leaders thought so. And I did not, oh, my mom didn't know this. Sorry, mom. I never attended that class again because that man was racist and it was wrong. 
So I really appreciated you just bringing all of that context uh, that I was not aware of. And then also, uh, I agree with everyone that you completely embody scholar activism. You invited the Rodney family here and we all were able to witness it. So thank you. There were, there were a lot of other things, but I'll have to continue because of the, the food in the back. So with Ms. Amani, you discussed the present day illicit financial flows. And again, you gave such poignant uh, present day examples and you spoke exactly to some of the myths that Walter Rodney said exists today. And you answer that question of why is Africa poor, right? Because we all know what the answer is that we were taught in school. And you provided so swiftly a couple of examples from just the past couple of years as to why Africa remains impoverished. And again, that, thank you, that could have been a, a three hour lecture and maybe we will do that uh, when we all gather again for the national school. Uh, moving on to Mrs. Rogers, there was a quote that you included. It was, how will black people govern themselves? And of course you said a lot, but that is the one thing that I really wanted to note because that is the very question that Channing compelled other candidates to have to respond to when he ran for city council in this district, District 10. I was able to volunteer uh, for that campaign and that's actually how I got to know Channing and Eric, I moved to South LA and in the midst of gentrification and all of the things that we're going through here, I wanted to get involved politically, locally. And so I walked over to this cafe and there was a meet the candidates event and Channing Martinez was one of those candidates and his platform included no police in schools, 50% of all new jobs will go to black residents of LA and there was a, there were a lot of other things too. And what was what? Oh yeah. We're working on it. Cut the LAPD and the other PD as well. And I was so taken and moved by your platform because not only was it the most radical thing that I have ever heard a candidate say in a public space, but there was so clearly a political underpinning that led you to those specific campaigns. And I wanted to know, what does he know that led him there? Cause I wanna know too. And then, so this other man who I later learned to be Eric Mann said, now who's gonna come to Albertsons on Monday so that we can get the signatures to get this man on the ballot? And I said, oh, I'll do it. And so that was my introduction to organizing and to Channing and to Eric and the Labor Community Strategy Center. <laughs> and so the Albertsons, which is right across the street, that, and that's my local grocery store, so I wasn't going there to get a gallon of milk, I was going there to collect signatures, and it was the most fantastic way to meet my neighbors, because we were engaging in conversation, we were listening to each other, we were exchanging, and I got to learn, well, what are people in the community actually concerned about? What are they thinking about? What can we do about it? And that was just such an education. So I'm getting this experience through this candidate who I just met, 
And then as I begin to learn about the organization more, there's more education that has to accompany that. And that is the reading. That's reading a playbook for progressives. That's reading other texts. And I'm just so grateful for that level of not only on the ground training of how do you organize in front of an Albertsons or how do you organize on a bus when you're about to fall on your butt, all of these things. And what are the political underpinnings that should help support your work? What are we reading every Monday that's making us better when we go out Tuesday through Sunday? And I'm really grateful for that. Then continuing on to Ash, you said that the homies call you Ash, so I'm gonna just say it and you're not gonna correct me maybe and then I'm just gonna be like this. So Ash said many things, but one thing that she said, quote, that this is a continuation of a long legacy of resistance. And she also said, which again, a radical thought, she said that, she, and she said in front of people and we're being recorded, and she knew that, and she still said, she believes we will have black liberation in her lifetime. She said that. And so then the question is, well, what would it take to have black liberation in your lifetime, our lifetime. And I think it would be so amazing if we could all get back together and explore that question through the National School for Strategic Organizing. So my challenge, uh, besides being the last person to speak before the ooh, is to deepen my own commitment. How do you balance being a black person living in LA and under all of the forces that we do and working full time and having a family and, and being committed to this movement? And so my challenge is to deepen my commitment. And a first step or a step towards that is publicly stating my commitment and my zeal for the National School for Strategic Organizing. I am so excited about it and an action in deepening my uh, commitment is to have an ask, right? Because we can't just learn and talk. You have to know, well, what are we going to do before we meet again? So the first thing is if you could write to us at, where are we writing, Channing? Info at... Oh, we're going to have to do that again. National Strategic... Uh, acronyms are my struggle bus. Okay, give me one moment. So we are going to all write at info at NSS, no. Channing said it, it will also be in the chat. So what are you writing, you may ask. You are writing what ideas are going to be percolating for you tomorrow in the future. What are you moved to do or to think about based off of this conversation? Maybe there's something you wanna challenge, right? Maybe there's something that you want, you say, ooh, this didn't sit well, this made me feel uncomfortable. You could write that and guess what? We will write back, because that's why we gathered here. And then the other thing that I would ask, and it's already been asked, but it's important enough to repeat a third time, is if you could donate to the Walter Rodney Foundation. The Labor Community Strategy Center has already made its donation as an organization. And if you could challenge yourself to give as generously as possible, that would be appreciated. And then also there's a bookstore right next door. There's a lot of learning to be done as we've all learned through tonight buy a book for yourself 
And then because you always learn in community, you're gonna buy three to five more copies of that text and share them with your family and friends. So thank you so much, everyone. And East Coast people, big ups to you because it's past your bedtime. Uh, thank you so much. And those of us in here are gonna go eat now. Good night. Thank you for tuning in to Voices from the Frontlines, your national movement building show. You were just hearing four great talks from the event, How Europe Underdeveloped Africa and the Genius of Walter Rodney, which was held on February 17th at Strategy in Seoul. You can hear these talks and all of the talks during that event on our website, voicesfromthefrontlines.com, and you can listen to all previous shows on that same website. Voices from the Frontlines delivers all of its on-air radio shows to podcasting sites, including Spotify, SoundCloud, and Apple Music. You can find all of that information on VoicesFromTheFrontlines.com. Please subscribe to our mailing list and our weekly newsletter will be delivered to you on Tuesday mornings. We want to hear your reflections on all of these talks and on all of the shows and even feedbacks and even potential shows in the future. Please send us all of that information or any of that information to info at thestrategycenter.org or eric at voicesfromthefrontlines.com. Again, this is the KPFK Fund Drive. Please support this very important radio initiative by the movement and for the movement. Call 818-985-5735 to get one of our three premiums today, which include How Europe Underdeveloped Africa, Playbook for Progressives, both for $100, $250 for Paul Robeson, Portrait of the Artist. Thanks for tuning in to Voices from the Frontlines. We'll see you next week. All power to the people. <laughs>